On Friday, Jesus died. And on Sunday, he was raised from the dead. On Friday, our sins were paid for by the death of Christ. And on Sunday, our hope was established by his resurrection. On Friday, death. On Sunday, life. And so there is great joy in this, of course, for Christians. But we are often only vaguely aware of why exactly we should be joyful, why exactly we should rejoice. This is a theme that I've been hitting on quite a bit recently. In our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. Paul explains the implications of Jesus' resurrection for his people. And I want you to pay attention to the progressions that we see in this passage. From death to life, from fear to freedom, from slavery to adoption, from suffering to glorification, from groaning to waiting eagerly, from futility to hope. All of these things come just back-to-back in this passage. And what we see is not just that Jesus is alive, though that is happy on its own. We see that his resurrection is the basis of our hope for every good promise that God has made that you can think of in the Bible. So please stand for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 8, you'll recognize that we've already read part of this passage in this service, starting in verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, You will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The first thing that we see here is that death comes before life. Death comes before life in this passage. Now, of course, if you go way, way back, life is the first thing, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made life, and it was good. But through sin, death came, and after that, there's just been death waiting for life. There's been this perpetual death ever since that time. And that's why we see that not just humans, not just us, not just Christians wait groaning, but all of creation is groaning. All of creation is waiting for this redemption, for this life that comes after death. And so this is the opposite of how we normally think. Normally we think birth, start with life, and then eventually you come to the end, and at the end there's death, right? But in this passage, he's saying, we start out dead. We start out dead in our trespasses and our sins. We start out dead men walking because of Adam's sin, because of our own sin. And similarly, we also start out fearful. We also start out slaves, but we end up as adopted sons. Now, the reason this matters is because it ends with life. It ends with hope. It ends with the joy of salvation. It ends with the joy of heaven. It ends with the, with the beauty of eternity with God in worship and glorification of him. And all of that is wonderful good news, and that's where you want to end. You don't actually want to end with death. You want it to end with life. If you think about the stories, the parables that Jesus told, Many of the stories that he told were about the the kingdom of heaven. And in 
the kingdom of heaven, he just talks about what a great treasure it is and what a, what a glor, glorious thing it is for us to receive and, and how beautiful it is and how worthwhile it is. It's not that you get it and then eventually you, you use it up and then it's gone. Right? It's that you start out without it. And the goal is to receive it. And that once you receive it, you have it forever. So again, all of this is a question of, you know, where we're starting from versus where we're ending up. And if we get this wrong, if we say, well, you know, it's awfully, it's awfully uh, painful to start out thinking about death. Can't we start with life? I say, sure, if we want to start with life, then we'll end with death. But that's no, that's no fun. So if we're talking about just, just, just on the basis of what the most fun is, it's a lot more fun to start with death and then talk about life than it is to start out with the happy and then to end with death. And as a matter of fact, that's what we see with our celebration through Holy Week. You have Maundy Thursday, which we didn't get to celebrate this year, but Commandment Thursday, which sounds like kind of a downer. And then it gets worse because you have Good Friday, which sounds great until you realize that you're celebrating death. That's when Jesus died. And then you get, only after all of that, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another one of the parables of Jesus Christ was the parable of the talents. And in the parable of the talents, there are two kinds of servants. There are servants that obey, and then there's the servant that doesn't obey. And the the master gives them money. Now, we talk about talents, and it's funny because it means two things. But he's talking about the, the talents that they were given. Talents are money. And so, uh, and so he, he's given some money, and he gives it to, to the servants. And they're expected to do something with it while he's gone. And while he's gone, two of the servants invest the money and work with the money and, and produce more money for their master. But, but one of the servants doesn't. One of the servants says to himself, you know, I know this master. He's, he's always wanting, he's always wanting more. He's always displeased. He wants us to be perfect. And that's really just too much to ask. And so I think I better just bury this money, make sure that I have it for him when he gets back. Well, that servant, when the master returns, the master calls him an evil and wicked slave. And he takes away the money that he had given to him and he gives it to the other. Why does that matter? Well, because I want to ask you this morning, are you a fearful slave that is... Because of your fear and because of thinking that God is an unfair and hard master, are you refusing 
to do what He has given you to do, hiding what He has given you? Or are you a confident heir? Now, what's an heir? An heir is a son. The one that's receiving the inheritance. The one that is receiving the property. Everything that the father owns goes to the heir. And so, although we start out as fearful slaves... As God is at work within us, we are made into rightful, confident heirs, according to the promise. What are you? Are you an heir, co-heir with Jesus Christ? In our passage in Romans, in verse 21, well, right before it, it says, in hope, hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, I I, I just want to stop here for a second and say, if you remember, I said we, we, we go back all the way to the beginning at the garden, there was life first, and through sin, death entered the world, and then that that caused the misery that we're in, that all of creation is in. Well, there's this sweet little thing here. If you go back to the beginning, the pinnacle of the creation account is that man was made, male and female. And it was very good. And all of the rest of creation is is placed underneath man and given to man as a gift. And then through man's sin, all of creation is corrupted, right? Well, here's this sweet little thing here in Romans. Just sort of a little side note that as we are made into a new creation, as we receive the promises of God, as we are redeemed, as the effects of sin are canceled in us, what else happens? The other thing that happens is that creation is brought along in the process. You see that? I'm going to read it one more time. I'll start with verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's what creation is looking forward. That's what creation is groaning for. That's what, it's, that's, what, that's what we have to look forward to with creation. Now, the Bible speaks of this in, in different ways. Sometimes it talks about the, the, the elements being 
the fire, fire consuming the elements and being recreated. Sometimes it talks about us being given new bodies. But what I want, what I want you to realize here is that in this very passage, we're talking about something that's very physical. There is no separating our spirits from our bodies. Even in this passage, Paul goes so far as to bring in the very earthly, not just your flesh, but the rest of creation. Look around. The trees, the sun and the moon and the stars and all of the rest of the earth. Why? Because as we are brought into his kingdom, as we are made alive in him, so also creation is brought along in that glory. That's a sweet and amazing thing. Now, I'm kind of off on a tangent here, but let me just, let me just continue on this tangent a little bit longer and say, look, we, we have a difficult time comprehending heaven, right? You, you think about heaven, and you think, okay, I mean, I know I've, I've seen the, uh, the little children's illustrations, Streets of Gold, and I remember reading that. And I guess there's angels. I know about that. And we also have praising God forever. If you've heard anything about heaven, we get to be with God forever, and we're forever praising him, and it's like, Okay, but that sounds kind of boring. That's what a lot of people start with the basic underlying. Okay, well, doing one thing forever sounds pretty boring. But here's the thing. Is this creation boring? It's not. And if your kids are playing so many video games that they think that the world is boring... They're narrow. They're short-sighted. We're not, giving them, we're not giving them a clear picture because the, the biggest video game world is tiny, insignificant, pathetic in its, in its experience compared to what is out there in the world, right? And so it is, it is a sweet thing that we have been given creativity by God, and so that we can create, we can create in our minds imaginary worlds. But I want you to imagine a wonderful world, this world freed from its slavery that it's been put under, its futility that it's locked in. And what this world could be when it was released from that bondage. And there's a reason that the world looks forward to joining all of creation to the glory of men being established in worshiping God. That is a glorious and amazing thing. But that's not where we start, is it? That's what we're looking forward to. That's what comes at the end. First, there's death.
There's another sense in which death comes first. And that is that unless we give up our lives, we will lose them. John 12, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What does that mean? It means that it requires an investment for us to see the life that we desire at the end, right? And the investment is your life. You have to invest your life in it. You have to be willing to give up your whole life for it. The seed has to fall into the ground and die. When some people were arguing against the resurrection, Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, you fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It doesn't come to life unless it dies. And so again, death comes first, doesn't it? Now, what is this death? I mean, I called it an investment, but investment's not really the right word for death, is it? (laughs) Giving up your life. Yeah, it is. It's an investment, but it's, it's only an investment if you have hope, if you believe in the promises. When Paul says, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies, he's saying death has to come first. Has to come first. Christ's death has to come first. Christ's death leads to our life. And so suffering comes first. And glory comes later, as we see in verse 17 of our passage. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, if you were able to make it to the Good Friday service, you know that we talked about suffering. You know that we talked about the way that Christ learned obedience through the suffering that he underwent here on this world in man's body, as a man. And so, we have to join with him in suffering. We have to join with him in suffering. Many want to say that Christ suffered so that we don't have to. Christ suffered so that we don't have to. Not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he died so that we don't have to, right? But if we ever set up Christianity as the opposition to suffering, we are ignoring all of the stories of suffering that it gives, including the suffering of Jesus Christ. Christ did die so that we don't have to but we must join him in his suffering. 
But the point of all of these sad things is that Paul is reminding us that we have proof that they are coming to an end. We have proof that they're coming to an end. Because here's the reality of this world. It is full of suffering. Those who try to make this life, make Christianity into the antithesis of suffering, and Joel Osteen, of course, is a great example of this, all right? But he's not alone in it. It's all over the place. All of the name it and claim it, all of, all of even the evangelical churches that never talk about the negative things, never talk about the hard things, never talk about God's no, but only speak of God's yes, all of those things are meant to communicate to us that if you simply believe the right thing, you won't suffer here in this life. Joel Osteen is a little bit more explicit about it. Some people are even more explicit than him in saying, you know, just give me the, give me the money and you'll be better. Give me the money, you won't suffer anymore. Give me, the, give me the money and that bad relationship will be fixed. Give me the money and whatever it is, believe. Believe and there will no longer be any suffering. But that's not this life. None of them have ever delivered what they promised. All of those things are coming to an end and we have proof. All of that suffering is coming to an end and we have proof. All of that death will bear fruit in life. And we have proof. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the seed that died, was buried, and springing up brought life. And so in verse 11 is where we see the connection between this hope for a better future and the resurrection of Christ that we celebrate today. What does it say? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. All of this starts with that one word, if. If. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It's not if the spirit raised Jesus. There's no question about that. Jesus was raised. It's a question of whether the spirit that raised Jesus also dwells in you. We see it in verse 11. We also see it in verse 10. If Christ is in you, where our passage started. We also see it in verse 13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then verse 17, if indeed we suffer with Christ, then what? What are all of these ifs? You know, 
That's a lot of if, isn't it? If the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, if you suffer with him, if you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then his resurrection leads to our hope for life, redemption, adoption, glorification. And not just hope, but with perseverance, verse 25, we wait eagerly for it. With perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Now, earlier I spent some time talking about the the connection between our bodies and our spirits. I I was talking about how this this world, even this physical world, is going to be remade and that will be, it it looks forward to the, the day when it's glorified, when it receives through the children of God, the sons of glory, its completion, what it's really meant to be. And if you look out and you look at the creation, you think what it's really meant to be, what it could actually be. It's a glorious thing. But it's not nearly as glorious as what you are meant to be, what you could actually be. Yes, ultimately, given new bodies in Christ, but here and now, as servants of the Most High God, we are able, by the Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body, of the flesh. I've been reading a lot of uh, Augustine recently, and you go back into the early church, and there's a lot of confusing things, or there's a a lot of things that they were confused about, too. And uh, <clears throat> and then I started reading this guy named Gregory, Gregory the Theologian, Gregory of Nazianzus is his name. He's one of the Cappadocian fathers. And, uh, and he has this really sweet thing where he just says, look, you need to be purified. You need to be purified if you want to know God. If you want to experience what your life is supposed to be, you must be purified. And so he, he makes this push for personal obedience. He, he pushes you to do a bunch of things that the, that the evangelical church today has really largely rejected, like fasting is Fasting on our, no, it's not really part of our, our DNA, right? He pushes for uh, a lot of self-discipline is what it comes down to. Disciplining the body, even the good desires of the body, disciplining them to seek the Lord. And his point isn't because that's how you're going to attain salvation, All of it is in the context of him saying, be baptized, join the church, give your life to Jesus Christ by faith. 
That's really what he's pushing for. He's saying, be purified. And what is baptism? Death. The the going down. That's what it stands for. It is about the death and then the, the raising up. It is about being purified, isn't it? Being cleansed. And so if you have been baptized, this is what you have been baptized to, to living a pure life by faith. Because Christ died. And it didn't end there. He raised up, and therefore, we have hope. Hope that goes all the way to saying, I believe that God is sanctifying me. Not just that he will, not just that he will save me in the end, but that he will give me the power to live as his son here and now in obedience. Now that's hopeful. That's truly hopeful because we struggle over and over and over again. Remember I said that, that whole li- the, the whole life promised by the, by the like paste a smile on your face and everybody pretend like there's no problems as long as you gave your money. We're gonna, we're, yeah, it's all going to be good. Remember how fake that is? Well, it's also fake to say that we don't struggle with sin. We sin day in and day out. And so for us to say our hope is in Jesus Christ who is raised, and therefore our hope is not just that in that last day that all of creation will be remade, that we'll be given new bodies, and and it's way out there. No, our hope is for here and now. That he will give us purity of heart. That he will cleanse us. And that's how Paul is able to write all of these ifs. See, because I don't want to leave you with, if you're doing this, and 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 have you misunderstand what Paul is saying, right? If you are suffering, okay, so you're saying that if I suffer, that means I'm a Christian. No, that's that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what I'm saying, right? Oh, so you're saying, if I stop sinning, then, then I'm a Christian. No, that's... That's not what's going to save you either, right? We've got to understand this appropriately. And the way we understand it is recognizing that death is first. Sin is first. But through the power of God, we are made sons. Through the power of God, we are made obedient. Through the power of God, we are resurrected. And so we cannot look forward to that final day, and this is where the ifs come in and how we understand them, all right? We, We cannot, we may not look forward to that final day and say, well, on that day I'll enter into heaven because Jesus Christ was raised and I believe in Jesus if we never first seek to obey him. If you have these things, then you know you have that thing. 
If he is at work now, then he will be at work. He will complete that work then. And that's why he doesn't say, if Jesus Christ is raised. He says, no, no, no. If you have the Spirit that raised Jesus living within you, if you have the Spirit of Christ within you, then there is life. And that's the message of today. That's the message of Easter. And it only, it only makes sense, as I always point out, it only makes sense in the context of Good Friday. It only makes sense in the context of Jesus dying. But after death, life. Let's pray.